can't make the climate math work without decarbonizing where we live and where we do business. For us, it's really a key consideration to make sure that this urbanization and this new housing stock can contribute to reduce the greenhouse gas emission. You're listening to The Lid Is On with me, Connor Lennon. Even though the COVID-19 pandemic has put a dent in commuting and other forms of travel, New York is still a busy city, teeming with traffic. But petrol and diesel are far from being the main sources of greenhouse gas emissions here. That dubious honour goes to buildings. More than two-thirds of the city's carbon footprint comes from the energy that goes into heating, cooling or lighting buildings. New York State has an ambitious plan to significantly reduce its carbon emissions by 85% by mid-century. But here in the city, a dense metropolis full of buildings from different eras, the scale of this task is plain. Janet Joseph from the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority accepts that the challenge is significant, but it needs to be tackled. Building decarbonization is one of the more significant challenges in our uh, climate agenda. But, you know, you, you really can't make the climate math work without decarbonizing where we live and, and where we do business. So that means bringing to scale many different solutions and overcoming barriers in the millions of buildings that we have uh, across New York State. And we have over 4 million buildings in New York State. And 70% of these buildings were constructed before the emergence of the energy code. So these buildings, they were not designed to be energy efficient. And if you look out your window, you could probably glean as, as much. So many, and I would say the majority of these buildings will need to be retrofitted or upgraded in some way, shape or form over the next few decades to uh, reduce carbon pollution and to achieve our greenhouse gas reduction goals. So that's what we're very focused on. And we have many different strategies to try to drive progress on that front. That was Janet Joseph, Senior Vice President for Strategy at the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, explaining why the state needs to get to grips with the energy leaking out of inefficient buildings. And one of the strategies for cutting the state's carbon footprint involves finding ways to ensure that new buildings use just a small fraction of the energy needed by conventional buildings for heating and cooling. On a snowy, windy day in February, I headed to the Bushwick neighbourhood of Brooklyn, New York, to meet Chris Benedict, an architect based in Manhattan who's had her own practice since 1995 and has always been interested in designing buildings that are as environmentally sound as possible. She wanted to show me two of her projects commissioned by the Riseborough Community Partnership, which develops low-budget housing for low-income families, senior citizens and other populations with special needs, with an emphasis on energy efficiency. Both projects demonstrate that it is possible to dramatically slash energy needs without costs rising through the roof. The first is a recently built construction for senior citizens which meets strict ultra-low energy or passive house standards. This building is special because it was either the first or one of the first new construction buildings and definitely the first affordable housing building in New York City 
where we sought to meet the passive house standard. It was an empty lot. There was grass growing in here and a lot of the construction was very typical. The exterior of this building is now clad with insulation, which was an unusual thing to do in 2005. And we like putting insulation on the outside of buildings because it keeps all the thermal mass of the building inside of the insulation and keeps the temperature inside very steady. We also like insulation on the outside of the building because it keeps condensation from happening inside of the building because the walls are warm and there's no condensing surface. So it improves the health of the people in the building by insulating on the outside. There's a lot of things going on in buildings right now with regard to their mechanical systems that could be improved, that could bring us a big jump forward. Why is it so important for it to be airtight? There's normally in all buildings here in New York, a lot of building leakage. So in the winter, buildings experience something called the stack effect, which is a physical effect where air at the bottom of the building that is warmed up, rises up through the building and then pulls more cold air in at the bottom. So often in New York, people are very uncomfortable on the first floor if they live there and they're overheated at the top and they open their window. And this is a cycle we can control by creating an air barrier to reduce the stack effect in the building. They might have steam boiler systems. So steam is on and off. Steam has to heat all of the radiators up in the entire building. The water condenses and comes back down to the boiler again but people only get heat when the steam gets up there, condenses, and the heat comes out into the room. Then the heat goes away, and so you have to keep doing that. It's hard to maintain temperature in a steam-heated building, um, and so a lot of energy is used for that. Um, often the radiators are oversized for the rooms, and then the buildings don't have insulation. So you're losing the heat that you put in at a very quick rate. You know, that's kind of the the poetic and beautiful thing about a passive house is you're cutting down the rate of heat loss out of the building enclosure and you're making up for that heat with the people and the lights and everything else that goes on inside of the building. So you're matching the rate of the occupants and what they do with the rate of the heat going through the enclosure. Um, so it's, it's kind of a poetic, beautiful thing. But Ms. Benedict is not only concerned with designing new buildings to the highest environmental standards, she's also helping to transform those extremely leaky buildings she mentioned. We are on Grove Street in Brooklyn, and these are four buildings that are part of a nine-building project called Casa Passiva. And the project is to take existing buildings and bring them to the Passive House standard. The Passive House is based mostly on creating an airtight enclosure that is insulated with continuous insulation, ventilation that is done with heat recovery so that when we're taking heated air or air conditioned air out of an apartment, we're taking the energy that we put into that conditioning and putting it back into the incoming airstream. You've really put a new, brand new skin, an outer layer on this existing building. How complicated is that to do? Well, you know, it, it kind of looks simple when you look at it now, but it was, uh, it was a puzzle to figure it out. Whilst projects such as Casa Passiva are encouraging examples of innovation driving the climate action agenda, it's clear that they can't take place in isolation. As Janet Joseph explains, joined up thinking is needed if the city and state are to achieve their goals. We need high efficiency electricity to heat and cool our buildings 
So that means moving off of the fossil fuel-based sources of heating that we have today for buildings. We need to make our buildings energy efficient so that we can contain the costs associated with expanding the electric grid, because we are going to need to build out the electric grid if we are to electrify you know, the four million buildings in, in New York State. And then the third thing we need to do is um, incorporate more load flexibility into buildings so that buildings can communicate with the electric grid and buildings can ramp down and, and ramp up their loads to balance the overall system. And whilst established cities such as New York are grappling with the legacy of their past, other parts of the world are urbanizing at breakneck speed, potentially storing up problems for the future. Christophe Lalande is the head of the housing unit at UN Habitat, the UN agency that promotes safe and sustainable urban environments. A supporter of retrofitting projects like Casa Perceiva, which improve existing housing stock, he's confident that the developing economies of the global south can benefit from the kind of innovation seen in New York. From the perspective of our work on housing, we see that a very large share of the emissions to come are part of like the the new housing stock that is uh, required to be built in the near future. So when we work as UN Habitat you know, on the future of cities, the future of urbanization, for us it's really a key consideration to make sure that this urbanization and this new housing stock can mitigate the impact on the, on the climate, but also contribute to reduce uh, the greenhouse gas emission. Some companies are 3D printing houses in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa, and some years ago, this would have not been like really maybe like uh, the most attractive approach to to reducing greenhouse gas emission, and especially like from the the cultural point of view. But it's a very um, it's a very interesting solution to be able like to produce housing at scale uh, at low cost, but also uh, by streamlining the way that you are building housing and also like sourcing sourcing materials you can really have a, a positive impact on the environment by reducing these emissions. Christophe Lalande, Head of Housing at UN Habitat. Back in New York, no one is underestimating the scale of the task ahead, but there is a sense that the political, technical and logistical stars are aligning and that we have a fighting chance of achieving the goal of bringing down global temperatures one building at a time. It's not rocket science, the challenges that we need to achieve. There's just a, few, a lot of issues we need to work out on the ground. We got to get the costs down. Are we going to get there? I don't know. I mean, I've traveled to some European countries where they set these goals and they say they're going to try. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to try. I'm Connor Lennon, and you've been listening to The Lid Is On, the flagship podcast from UN News. For daily text, audio and video stories, go to our website news.un.org.